Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the New Testament book of Acts, and today we will read chapter 2, verses 14 through 28. If you remember from our last session, the Holy Spirit had fallen upon those who had gathered in the upper room, about 120 people, and the scripture says that it came with the sound of a, of, a, of a mighty sound from heaven, rushing like a wind, uh, and there were divided tongues on, on the heads of those who were there, and they began to speak uh, in languages that they had never studied. But the people who had gathered in Jerusalem heard the rushing wind um, that had come from heaven, and also they were hearing the testimony of these believers who are speaking to them in their own language. And so we pick up the story uh, with the, the people who, some, some of them were asking, well, what's going on? And others were saying, well, no, these people are just drunk. And so we pick up our story with the reading of verse 14, where it, it says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he quotes Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my tongue rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, Peter's sermon continues on uh, for several more verses, but for today, this passage that I just read is what we will be discussing, 
and we will continue the lesson in our next session. So let's begin breaking down this passage of Scripture. In verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, that this be made known to you, and heed my words. You will notice that this sermon was directed to the Jews. It's about a Jew, preached by a Jew to the Jews. Or, and those who had uh, chosen to follow the God of Israel. And what is so significant about that is you think about it. Israel had rejected Jesus. Israel had crucified Jesus. Israel had created the greatest crime that there will ever be. And it's to Israel that God first preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is grace. Peter continues in verse 14, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, you need to understand that they counted their hours beginning at 6 o'clock in the morning, so the third hour would be 9 o'clock in the morning. And in those days, uh, they did not usually eat or drink before 9 o'clock in the morning on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And, and this uh, was a holy day. It was Pentecost. Pentecost is significant to the Christian today because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But it was actually an Old Testament uh, festival that was to be celebrated. And so to suggest that these people were drunk on wine uh, would uh, it was just out of sequence. They, that, they just did not do that in that time. And moreover, uh, those who were faithful Jews uh, did not usually drink wine except for with meals. And so uh, Peter begins his argument with just very practical aspect of what's going on, reminding them that this is something that is unusual. This is something that is unique. This is not something of the flesh, but it's something of the spirit. And so what does Peter do? He turns to the word of God and he quotes to them from Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 29. And we read that prophecy and we'll come back to that in a moment, but this was a prophecy in Joel, this prophecy was is speaking it's more specifically to a day that is yet to come. It is written reference to the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ that will come following the seven years of tribulation. And all of that is still in the future for us today. So most of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 is yet to be fulfilled. But the Holy Spirit prompted Peter to draw from that to explain uh, the event that was happening on that day, the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, as one commentator observes that the whole messianic era stretches between the two comings of Jesus, and that is the age of the Spirit of God in which his ministry is one of abundance. And so the two comings of the first coming, of course, is when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary, 
and he lived and he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. That's the first coming of, of Christ. Then there's the second coming of Christ that is, that is yet to come. And that will happen at the end of the seven years of tribulation, uh, which is preceded by the rapture of the church, the take, snatching away of the church. Uh, and it's, it's known in scripture, that seven years of tribulation is known in scripture as the day of God's wrath. Because it is a time when God is going to be uh, judging those who have rejected, once again, have rejected Messiah, have rejected Jesus, and um, following the, um, the rule of, of the man who is going to rise up, commonly known as the Antichrist. At the end of the seven years, Jesus will return, return visibly, he will return in, in a body form, and he will touch down on the Mount of Olives, enter into Jerusalem, and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule over the nations of the earth for a thousand years. So the prophecy in Joel is, is very specific, it's very significant, but it touches on this aspect of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which came, which began on the day of Pentecost. And, and so all of this to say that, that, that we are living currently, we are living in the last days, which began at the first coming of Christ. And it and with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it marks it marks that countdown. And there are, have been certain things that have been taking place, especially recently, fulfillments of prophecy leading up to uh, uh, this period of time that I've been discussing. And so, <clears throat> the day is shorter than it was when it began, and uh, there are signs that indicate that time is short. And so what we do with Jesus and what we believe about Jesus is so significant. Dr. Ironside has this to say, there is a great deal in the prophecy of Joel, which yet remains to be fulfilled. But Peter is saying that that same spirit, which was working on Pentecost that day, is the spirit by which by and by will be poured out upon all flesh. Now, uh, I use the word prophecy a lot, prophecy of Joel, and I use it quite a bit because there's so much that, uh, especially in the book of Acts, uh, quotations from prophecy. And just so you know, the word prophecy actually means to proclaim the truth of God. And in the Old Testament times, there was, there was the truth of God, present tense and future tense. And today there is prophecy where we still proclaim the truth of God. It comes from the word of God. So just so you're clear on what I'm referencing to here, let us continue with our passage before us. We come to uh, the bulk or the, the um, foundation of Peter's sermon. In verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him of being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that, David should, or that, that Jesus should be held by it. So here we have um, 
a sermon. It, there are three points I want to make first before we begin to break it down. First, the first thing that we notice here is it's simple. To the Jewish listener, this message was simple. Everyone there understood what Peter was saying. This sermon was based on several familiar messianic passages from the prophets. They knew what he was talking about. Whether they believed it or not, they knew what he was referencing. It was clear to them. Second element is that it was focused. His sermon was centered on Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. This is the gospel message that God has promised to bless. And so whenever the message is proclaimed, whenever the gospel is given, that is the message that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived among us, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead for our justification, and has ascended on high. And one day, he's coming back again. This is the gospel. This is good news. Because in, in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, we have hope. There is forgiveness of sin. There is the gift of everlasting life for all those who put their trust in him. This is good news. The third element of this sermon is that it was based on a solid foundation. It was established on the word of God. He reads from Joel. He reads from the Psalms. And later on, he's going to quote from two more Psalms. Then we'll talk about that next time. But his sermon is laced with scripture. This is key. You remember uh, that in, uh, when, as he was quoting Joel, there's a key verse, so important. And it's verse 21. And it says this, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a promise. That is a declaration spoken through the prophet Joel, quoted by Peter here, quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 10, and it is key and foundational, and it is a promise that we can all, all hold fast to. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no limitation. Young or old, rich or poor, slave or free, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It does not matter the measure of your sin, because I can tell you, his grace is greater. His love is mightier and his promise is sure. But getting back to what I was saying, the word of God, Peter used the word of God as a foundation for his declaration about what was taking place that day, for the explanation, for the gospel message. Paul puts, puts it in another way, and, and I really love the observation that he makes. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, Paul writes, How then shall they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they were sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word is mighty. The word is powerful. It says, let me turn to it, in Hebrews chapter 4. Let me turn to it real quick. It's so important. It says this, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is truth, and it tells us the truth about ourselves, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we need a Savior, and so it tells us of the Savior, and it tells us of the love, and it tells us of the grace. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is healing. The Word of God is cleansing. Jesus said that the Word of God is truth. Jesus would often quote scripture, if you remember, and when he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, Whenever the devil would issue him a challenge, Jesus responded by quoting the word of God, and it silenced his accuser. When his critics, the Pharisees and the scribes and others who would come against him and try to trap him or, or accuse him, his defense was always based on the word of God, and the word of God would silence them. And he often used scripture, other passage of scripture, to explain a teaching or to answer a question. Matthew, oh, Matthew's gospel, he's constantly quoting Old Testament passages to confirm that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promised Messiah. The apostles, Paul, Peter, James, Jude, John, all quoted Old Testament passages of Scripture to confirm what they were teaching in their letters and writings. Yes, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is necessary. It's, it's our, our meat and our drink for our daily life, and we need to feast upon it every day. It is the bread of life. Back to our passage in Acts. You will notice that, um, let me see here, that this passage, that this sermon was, you know, we talked about it before, that it was to, to all who would listen and not just for the Jews. It's, yes, it was directed to the Jews, but it was open to anyone who would listen and it's still open to us today. And what I find interesting in verses uh, 22 and 23 
is the use of the word um, my and also the reference of you or they. Well, actually not my, it's, it's uh, God. In verses 22 through 23, let us read that those passages. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by any. You will notice that um, in this passage, it's it's actually quite significant. It says, Jesus was attested by God to you. So God is active in this. God attested Jesus to them or, or appro- proved Jesus is who he is, Messiah, by miracles, by wonders, and by signs. Peter says, which God did through him in your midst. You see how God is so active in all of this. Says him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands. You have crucified. You have put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so whatever uh, nefarious plans the Jews had for Jesus, God was sovereign over it all. So once again, let us uh, take a look at this in verse 22. Once again, that Jesus was a man who was accredited by God. He's accredited through uh, the miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him showing that he was the Messiah, showing by his power, as well as showing by the character of the life that he lived. The death of Jesus, the crucifixion, the being handed over uh, unto death, the crucifixion itself was prophesied in Scripture and was God's predetermined purpose uh, in response to man's wickedness and and sin uh, sinful life, sinful nature, free will of, of man. But it was not God's plan that men should curse him or spit upon him and heap every kind of indignity upon him. These things were man's. They, mankind 
man, uh, the men of that day, they owned that. That was their godlessness that was led on by Satan. But in scripture, let's just take a look uh, for a moment at what scripture has to say. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, the prophet writes this, Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Going down to verse 8, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the tr transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it ple pleased the Lord to bruise him, for, for he has put him to grief. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul adds this, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a tremendous gift. Our sin was placed on him. And when we put our trust in him, his righteousness is placed on us. He became sin that we might be cleansed from sin, justified before God. Justification, it's a big word, but it simply means this, that in God's eyes, when we are in Jesus, it's just as if I had never sinned. That is how clean we have been made through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous gift of grace. Tremendous work of mercy. This resurrection of Jesus, God raised him. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus, just as the scripture says. Why? Because Jesus is the creator of life. Jesus is the creator of the heavens and earth. It says that in several places in both the Old and New Testament. And so it's impossible for death to hold him. He is the victor. He rose from the dead. He lives forever. And when now that we are in him, we too shall live. Dr. Ironside adds this. In other words, Peter is telling them, this man is the Messiah. God had put his seal upon him. This was the one whom the prophets had proclaimed and of whom the psalmist had sung. And what have they done with him? Let me ask you the question. 
What have you done with him? You know why he came? Why he died? What have you done with him? Have you opened your heart to receive him? Have you trusted him as your Savior? As your Lord? Remember, they took him by lawless hands. They crucified him. They put him to death. But God attested Jesus to be Messiah by miracles and wonders and signs. God did all of these things through Jesus. God delivered Jesus for a determined purpose. God raised Jesus up. God delivered Jesus from the pains of death, from the agony of death. And in the Greek, that word for agony literally means birth pains. So that the resurrection itself is pictured as a regeneration, a new birth out of death into life. As someone once observed, when man would do his worst, God gives his best. They did their worst. They crucified the Son of God. They crucified their Messiah. They crucified their King and their Redeemer. God did his best. He offered his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That offer was first given to the Jews. That's grace. But it's given to Gentiles. That's us. That too is grace. Because let's face it, we all have sinned. And and so all all of us are guilty. And Jesus died for each of us, for you, for me. Jesus' resurrection was the ultimate sign that what he said about himself was true. Without the resurrection, no one would have any reason to believe in Jesus. The grave could not keep the author of life, the creator. Peter paraphrased it appropriately. It was impossible for the author of life to be held by the power of the grave. And so then Peter, to... uh, Add emphasis to his message, quotes from a messianic psalm, that's Psalm 16, and he quotes from verses 8 through 11. He he quotes this, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make known, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Jesus did not spend very much time in the grave. And as the psalmist says, my flesh will rest and uh, I... You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, the body will not decay. Jesus was uh, buried, but he rose at first light on the third day. This psalm, Psalm 16, is prophesying Jesus' resurrection. Christ's execution had been carried out in public before many witnesses. His empty tomb was available for inspection just a short distance away. 
And if Christ had not truly died, Peter's message would have been laughed at or ignored. Just think about it. It's very real to them. That would only been 50 days since the crucifixion of Jesus. Only 50 days, well, what is it, 47 days since the declaration that Jesus had risen from the dead. If Christ had not been resurrected, the authorities would have produced his body and put an end to, to this new faith that had sprung up and was spreading like wildfire. Our faith also rests upon the credibility of the truth of the empty tomb. If you were to go to Israel today, they know where his tomb is, and you can walk in there and you can see there is no body there, for Jesus has risen from the dead. So, uh, to quote once more from Dr. Ironside, the Spirit of God has come, the Comforter is here, and the saints of God have received the Spirit and have thus been baptized into one body, and in the power of the Spirit are called upon to go forth and proclaim the gospel message to the ends of the earth. This is a continuing commandment to each generation, be my witnesses. Go and tell. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in the little town of Bethlehem. He lived among us, lived as you live. He got thirsty, he got hungry, he got weary. He was betrayed, he was wounded, he was crucified, and he died. But he rose from the dead. And he uh, appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses to his resurrection. He ascended up into heaven. Again, eyewitness accounts. And he's coming again. This too is a testimony of scripture. I again ask, have you called on the name of the Lord? For the promise is sure that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you trusted Christ? as your own Lord and Savior. Consider it. Call out upon him. Confess your sin. He will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and you will be born again. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the testimony of your word, the testimony of Peter's sermon that is, uh, has come to our hearts today. And I pray that, that this testimony, this, this sermon will pierce the hearts of those who are listening. That we might all call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. To experience the fullness of your grace and mercy, the gift of everlasting life, the gift of the promise of Holy Spirit, the renewing uh, of, of life, the promise uh, that is yet to come. You are so rich in mercy and abundant in loving kindness. And we give you thanks for you are good. Truly, O oh Lord, your mercies endure to all generations. I pray that you will bless the listener today 
And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me close with this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, until next time, my dear friend, may God richly bless you as you continue to draw near to him.